Fathom, it's so good to see you all. So good to see you all uh, in the house today. Excited just to be together. I'm just excited to be together. Thankful to be in the house with you. If you're watching online, uh, we love you uh, all around the world. Talking to people uh, in Asia this week, they're like, "Hey, we watch. We've been been tuning in." So that's always uh, really cool. We love you. If you're driving down the road, listening, our Fathom fam is stretched out all over the place, and um, and so we're thankful you're here. If you're a guest with us in for the weekend, uh, hanging out, or looking for a home church, we'd love to connect with you and really just provide a place for you to grow in faith and family. Uh, if that is you, we'd love for you to take that connect card, take it out to our resource uh, wall out there. We, we've got a special gift for you as you leave, or you can just text the word new to fathom to 97,000. We're like super new age, you know, technological with the text thing. So we're so thankful you're here, excited for what God's going to do. We're going to be wrapping up our series legacy today. And so excited to see what God's going to speak in this time. Uh, we all have like our top 10 favorite movies, right? Well, the, I want to tell you a little story from one of my favorite uh, movies. Uh, it's probably my top 10. I don't think it's cracking my top five, but I think it's making my top 10, which is The Truman Show. How many of you guys have seen The Truman Show? Right? If you have not seen it, just be prepared for spoilers and you are welcome. It's been like 20 years old, so like, what do you want me to do? So um, the Truman Show, if you, if you don't know the story, or just if it's been a long time, I'll, I'll remind you, is a Jim Carrey film, and uh, Jim Carrey plays Truman Burbank, and he's an insurance uh, salesman in this, um, and he lives this very nice kind of polite life where everything seems to go pretty well for him, uh, except for one thing, uh, which is it's not reality. <laughs> he's actually on a, a, a made-up kind of produced reality reality television show called The Truman Show, in which his life is filmed 24-7 a day, 24-7, with hidden cameras on him, and so he has zero privacy in his whole life, and his whole life is like reality TV today, which is heavily produced, and it's produced by this character named Kristoff, who's this kind of God-esque character is the, the way it, it makes it seem in, in the movie. And he controls everything about his life, like who he falls in love with. In fact, Truman in the show, or in the movie, the show, the, in the movie, falls in love with the wrong person. He, they were trying to get him to fall in love with one character, an actress they had cast for it, and he falls in love with someone else. So Kristoff removes that woman from his life because it's messing up his storyline. And, and Truman begins to figure some things out. Some things are fishy. He notices a spotlight that falls from the sky, like just like one of these spotlights just falls from the sky. And he notices uh, an older homeless man disheveled on the side of the road. And he's like, that looks like my father. And he he sees it and he, and he, he realizes that that was actually the same character that was his dad now recast. Um, as a disheveled man on the road. And he begins to pick up on all these things and the storylines seem to run out. And to the point where he drops um, one of my other favorite films, he drops a Ferris Bueller action. Like he's got to get out of here. And so you guys remember the classic scene from Ferris Bueller. This is def- that's in my top five. I don't know about for you. It's top five. But Ferris, you know, fakes like he's sleeping, puts a body in the bed. You guys have seen this one before. And then got to have the snoring sound going to make it think that, uh, make everyone think you're asleep. And then, and then Truman sneaks out. He, he tries to get away from the cam- cameras and he runs and he faces his fear of water because of something in his childhood. And he faces this fear of water and he jumps out on this man-made body of water that looks like an ocean. Everything looks, it's just the biggest TV set in the world. 
He gets out on this boat, and even out in the middle of the boat, Kristoff starts this man-made storm, and, and like the, all of America in the movie is watching Truman uh, facing his fear on the boat, trying to get to what the truth that lies beyond what he has known, and the, the, the wind and waves, and he's facing it all. He's like, I'm going to keep going, and Kristoff finally stops the storm, and just after that, the boat runs into the side of the dome, which is the end of the TV set. And there is a door, and he realizes, I've, I've reached it. Here it is. There is something beyond this life, beyond this dome that I've lived in. And, and as he is hitting this wall and the, and the storm stops, Kristoff's voice rings in and begins to have a conversation. For the first time in Truman's life, he's hearing this voice who is been controlling all of this stuff in his life. And the Kristoff character says to him, he said, there is no truth outside of, out, outside of this world. Uh, there's no truth beyond this. Like this is what's the truth that's in here is the same truth that's out there. He said, there's nothing else I'm trying to keep them from uh, reality. And, and Jim Carrey, you can tell, is, is working this through in his brain and trying to make this decision. They have a little small talk conversation, not small talk, heavy talk, a large talk conversation. And he begins to walk up the steps and it looks like he's going out. And he's like, there's nothing out there. And he's trying to convince him to stay. And in classic Jim Carrey style, he says, in case I don't see ya, good morning, good day, and good night. And he takes a bow and he walks off stage. Total spoiler alert, I know. Um, and, and there's a lot about this story in this movie that will not translate to this message, but there is one major thing that translates to this message and what I feel called to preach and, and teach on today, which is that all of us are born into a bubble. <laughs> All of us are, are born into this giant bubble. This actual bubble is the, the brokenness of sin in our lives. And, and that brokenness of sin inside this bubble, everything revolves around us. For our whole lives, from the time we are a little baby, everything revolves around us, and it's all about us. And, and Truman even notices that the rain just falls on him. You ever feel like nothing bad ever happens to anybody else? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Well, that's kind of, Truman began to notice that. And just like Truman, the oddities, the storylines seem to fail us. And eventually we get to this place of like, I, there, there's got to be something more to this world than it just being about me. Like there, there's got to be something beyond this. And the Kristoff character is posed as a God character, but really he's an antichrist character. I mean, his name, they tell you, right? in his name, Kristoff. It's, it's an off Christ. It's an antichrist because God's not trying to keep us from the truth. He's trying to get us to the truth. He, he's not trying to keep us from what's out there. He's trying to uh, bring us to a place where we can experience life to the fullest in this life and in the next and so I want to talk to you today out of a text. I want to preach to you from a text in Philippians chapter 2. Really, uh, I'm calling this, this message reality check. And some of us in the room, we, we may need a reality check. Um, that we're living in a world, we didn't even realize it. And some parts of our world are just, it's just about us. And some of us, we're noticing some odd things, some weird things. And that's that journey, that fulfillment that we had in certain parts of our life has kind of run its course we're searching for something bigger, and, and I want to talk to you about developing a, 
uh, a selfless vision for your life. But we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 to talk about this. Philippians chapter 2, I, I love this text. It's, it's, uh, reflect, it's Paul reflecting on the life of Jesus and, and how we are called to live so differently than what we are born into, the bubble that we're born into. We're called into this life that is so much bigger that Jesus shows us. So let's pick up. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll, we'll talk through this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. This is similar to what we were talking about last week, that we're all a part of being the fullness of Jesus on this earth. And and we're going to spend most of our time looking at verses 3 through 11, but I, I, I have to stop and say, if we don't get verses 1 and 2, none of this is possible. If we don't understand that we have to be united with Christ and to have fellowship with his spirit, the things that he's about to say that we are called into as the body of believers are 100% impossible. They're 100% possible. We cannot do what we are called to do outside of um, being united with Christ and having fellowship with the Spirit, period. And so we have to get that before we go. So that's a preface really to the message. Verse three, because here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, right? We can't do that on our own. That's like another impossible statement by Paul or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves, Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, like something to be held and to you be used for his own gain. But rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, like like you and I. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. This this calling, this life that we are led into, and we have this beautiful example of Jesus Christ, and Paul is challenging the church that, hey, we've got to do that too. We've got to follow Jesus' example in this. If we're going to actually bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus has taught us to pray and to live, if like we talked last week, if you were with us, if we're going to be the fullness of Christ, then, then this, is, this is the pattern of our life. And so uh, I want to share from this perspective of how do we develop a selfless vision for our life? I want to talk to you today about developing a selfless vision for your own life. I think it's really four, four things that I want us to process that's right here in the text. And the first thing is that if we're going to develop a selfless vision for our life, then we've got to get our why right. We've got to get our why right. Paul really points us here about no selfish ambition. The idea of this really speaks to our inner motives. What are we motivated by? What are we motivated by? 
And, and it's clear to me, and probably is to you too, that all of us are, are motivated in this life. Our why for a very long time is our self-promotion, our self-preservation, and our selfish ambition. It's, it's whatever I want to do. But eventually, like Truman, that runs out. And for us, it's not running into Kristoff. It's not running through a storm. It's not noticing all those things. When that begins to shift for us is when we meet the who. When we meet the who of Jesus Christ, then our why changes. Because we come in contact with humility like we had never known. We become... We come in contact with God himself in the flesh, and even if it's not physically touching his flesh, there's his life and his death that lived on this earth. And, and the who changes our why. Not the classic rock band, the who, but Jesus changes our why. And our why is no longer motivated by, what do I want it to do? But it's like, God, who, what have you called me to do. And oftentimes we get this out of order when we come into the church and we start to move in our faith and, and we say, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And, and we miss this. We miss the why. And it runs out. We run out of steam very quickly and because we begin to, to fall into legalism. Like, just tell me, okay, I checked that box. I read my Bible this week, Pastor. Hey, I, I, I showed up and I served this week and I, I gave and I'm doing all this stuff and I've got all the what's and we figure that out, but we don't have the what, the why. And so we lose steam on the what very quickly. And we're like, well, what was that all about? What happened there? And it's, we, we, our, our why never shifted. Our why never shifted. The why of every Christian is to delight ourselves in the Lord. It's, it's, re, it's relationship. The, the, the why of why he sent Jesus is so he could be in relationship with us, not so that we could do a dance for him and perform for him. Like, it's to delight ourselves in the creator of the earth not only to delight ourselves in him and to live a life of worship and just to enjoy his presence, but, but also to, to live a life for his glory and renown. That, that actually our entire existence is not about us. Our why is to delight ourselves in the Lord and to live for his glory and renown. And when we, when we get that why, like everything starts to shift. And I think so many of us, we've settled for far too small of a why our why begins and ends with us. Our, our why begins and ends with our bank account. Our why begins and ends with our family. And, 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 and those aren't necessarily bad um, whys, but they're insufficient and insignificant in the grand scheme of creation that God has created us for. And God wants to give us a why that is far greater than anything we've ever lived and walked in before. Something that is worth giving our lives for. So many of us, we live uninspired lives because we never got a bigger why. We live a very uninspired existence because we've lived with a very small why that's about us. And God wants to, to lead us beyond that. I think there's a, a worry when we get... To, to wrap our brain around, okay, I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to live for loving Him and loving others. I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Pastor. But then there's this worry that sneaks in that says, if I do that, then everybody's going to pass me. 
in life. And I'm just going to be looking around and, and they're building their kingdoms and I'm over here building God's kingdom and I'm just, I'm just suffering through this life. And, and when we get this thought that like everybody's just going to pass us, if we really make this choice to not live by selfish ambition and self-preservation, self-promotion, but, but I love that, that God loves and cares for us so much that uh, James 4.10 uh, uh, tells us that if we'll humble ourselves, God will raise us up. That if, if you'll choose to, to walk in the why, if you'll choose to, to walk in his bigger why for us, when we humble ourselves and don't make it about us, when we do that, he's going to raise us up. He's going to raise us up. He'll give you promotions that no man can give you. He, 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 you. You'll end up lapping them and passing other people because you've chosen to do it God's way. And here's the reality in, in what the rest of the text, the end of the text Paul sets up is that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no greater sign or visual for me of humility than that moment. There, there's no greater sign. I am bowing my knee in reverence. I am proclaiming Jesus is Lord. And, and the reality is that that's going to happen one way or another. It's going to happen through humiliation or it's going to happen through a choice of humility. It's one or another. And, and I've just learned in my life, I don't love to be humiliated. So I just better go ahead and humble myself in God's plan for my life and, and, and lock myself into the why that he has given me. But we say, okay, all right, pastor, I'm in. I'm not going to focus on everybody else trying to lap me. I believe that God will raise me up. If I don't try to exalt myself, he'll, he'll eventually, he'll, he'll exalt me and raise me up. How does that happen? Well, I'm not going to give you some laundry list of practical things you can do to foster humility. I'm going to give you one thing, and, and you can't afford to miss it. It's to have an encounter with Jesus. There, there's nothing that's going to foster humility and rock your why, and expand your why like having a real encounter with Jesus that you'll remember the rest of your life. The rest of your life. It's, it's not just a one-time encounter either. Like it's a, it, it, it can be every day when I wake up and I, I can open up his word and be like, God, I, I want to I meet you. I want to encounter you in your word. And, and it, with every sunrise, it's just an encounter with Jesus, the creator of the earth. And, and every moment in which we worship corporately and we come and we're reminded of his body and blood that was broken for us, it's an encounter with Jesus. It's not just one encounter, it's all the time. Henry Nouwen, which is a, a theologian and pastor for a stretch, a man who lived an incredible life of humility, he, he lived it out in which he had all kinds of academia behind him, and he actually chose to really turn down a lot of large universities to teach at, and he went to, to minister at um, a handicapped facility in Canada, Canada for, for handicapped adults and, and just gave his life serving um, those that are so misunderstood and underserved in, in our society. And he had all this notoriety. And, and here's, here's what he said um, about this encounter with Jesus. When our ministry does not emerge from a personal encounter, um, it quickly becomes a tiring routine and a boring job. When our ministry to your family, your ministry in the local church, your ministry that's at your occupation, your ministry to your neighbors, when, when that kind of grows like to be a boring job and it's tiring 
It's not the spouse's problem that's going on. It's not the people at work and you don't understand. And it's not the church needs to get whatever. It's, it's not I need a personal encounter with Jesus. It's going to ignite that passion. It's going to remind me of my why. And I can live an inspired life for him. So I got a lot. I got to keep going. <laughs> we needed to get that. that. That one's important. So we can't afford to do this. If we're going to develop a selfless vision for our life, then, then we got to get our why right. I mean, just let's get it right. And it happens through an encounter uh, with Jesus, and it's all over. The second thing is we got to learn to love people. Learn to love people. I, I, I know, and I've said it many times, that it comes out of God first loving us, then we can love. We can't give what we don't have. We, we know that. But I want to process this out a little bit because as much as I've known that, I've had to process and learn to love people. God's had to teach me uh, to learn uh, uh, to to, uh, to love people. And this is what Paul says. He says that not only when we go into this life with Christ, when we get united with Christ and fellowship with the Spirit, not only does it change our motives, but it changes the way we view people, that we value others as better than ourselves. Like, that's a perspective change. It's not just my motives that are changing, but actually how I see the world and how I see the people that are around me, I don't see them the same. Uh, I, I think um, for me, I've, I've, this has been a work in progress for a long time because I think I'm a naturally a critic, uh, particularly in areas, and I think we can all be like this, but I know I'm particularly critical in areas in which I feel confident, in areas I feel I am educated and, and, and I know the way it should be, right? We always think we know the way it should be. And so Taryn's like laughing and like she lives with this, so I am naturally a critical person. Like she doesn't like to watch like the musical shows, you like the voice or that stuff. Because I'm just annoying. I got a bug flying around me. I'm gonna swipe it, karate chop it. But she doesn't like to watch those shows with me because I'm just naturally critical. And I'm like, nah, it's off pitch right there. Like, oh, that's garbage. Like, get him off the stage. And and, and and I've gotten a lot better. But the reason I've gotten a lot better uh, from being the natural critic that I am is because she is supernaturally the opposite. I'm a natural critic, and she is a supernatural encourager, where my eyes go to everything that's wrong, her eyes go to everything that's right. And it's um, sometimes annoying, but um, <laughs> uh, particularly if we're sitting in a waiting room, like, or, or we're waiting to get a table at, at a thing, and she can't just sit there in silence or just have a conversation with us. Like, no, it's got to be commenting on everybody else's outfit and your family's so beautiful. And, and, and she just is always just seeing the good that's in everyone and everything. And, and that's, thankfully, God has chosen wisely for me. And that has been imparted to me in some way, shape, or form. I'm still in progress. Um, but that supernatural, she has a supernatural gift for it, and it's powerful. And so I want to give you three quick things that I feel like I've learned on how do we learn to love people? Because I, I hear all the time, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I like Jesus. I don't like the people thing. I don't like the church deal. I don't. And that's a, that's a real struggle, and some of it's personality, and we make excuses around it. No, no, no. Like if we're, if we're called into this life and we're united with Christ, we begin to develop a love for people. Yeah, three things. First, if we're going to learn to love people, we've got to dig deeper. I'm not talking about dig deeper in ourselves. I'm talking about deeper in our well with Jesus. Because we do love because he first loved us. Like, 
When you are running out of steam, we got to go deeper. It, and it's not all theological deeper. No, no, we just got to go deeper with how much Jesus has saved us and how much he loved us. And when we go deeper in our own pain and our own brokenness and we know how much we needed a Savior, all of a sudden there's some new mercy and new compassion for me to offer because I realize how much I have needed that from the Father. And, and, and so I think that, that's where it starts is we've got to dig deeper. The second thing is we've got to dismantle disrespect. Dismantle disrespect. This was about 10 years ago. I, I went through about a six to nine month journey with the Lord in which he was dismantling disrespect in my life. It was heavy. It was a few people in my life who were enemies of mine. Uh, they, they would not call themselves enemies of mine, but they sure acted like it. <laughs> they were enemies of mine, and, um, and I just didn't know how to live and be in that environment. And God began to actually do the opposite of, uh, of what was natural to me, which is want to fight and defend myself. And God just began to teaching me that even my enemy, I was to show respect and value them as better than myself. That I was actually to love them far beyond that, not because they had done anything. I actually began to learn unconditional love in this in many ways, to, to actually live it out and to see them, um, to see the image of God in them. And I think this leads to the, the, the third thing um, that I'll, I'll get to in just a second. Don't throw it up there yet. Because I still need to break. <laughs> Do you guys, you guys just juke me? A little Jesus juke? It's, it's good. It's good. Um, I, I, I want to unpack dismantle disrespect just a little bit more. Um, just so we can connect with this. So that, that some of us who are like, yeah, yeah, I don't disrespect anybody. Let, let me help you break it down a little bit. Um, uh, we might disrespect someone um, if we don't really care about their opinion. If we don't really listen to their opinion. Um, we, we might be struggling with uh, disrespecting people um, if um, uh, we just think about how those relationships can benefit us. We, we might be disrespecting them. We, we might be dealing with um, not respecting that individual um, if, if we're, we, we're not good listeners and like listening to, to, to them. I think there's so many ways in which disrespect comes out in our life um, but it's really this third thing, I think, that sets it off, which is we need to decide to encourage. Decide to encourage. Dig deeper, dismantle the disrespect, and then decide to encourage. And, and here's, here's what I, I believe an encourager is. An encourager is one who sees and speaks the value they see in every soul that they encounter. They see and speak the value they see in every single soul that they encounter. When I say every soul, I don't mean they actually speak it to every single soul, right? That's not what I mean. But I'm meaning that we, vow, we see the imago Dei, the image of God on every single person. Every single person has been created in the image of God. And our ability to encourage comes out of digging deeper in that love, yes, but it really comes down to do I, do I value them as God's images on them, just like it's on me. And if you begin to flip this whole thing, like, oh, 
I, I ought to respect them. God created them. God does have a plan for their life, just like he has a plan for mine. And when I back up and navigate all that stuff, all of a sudden, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting them. I, I, I just want to encourage and see the value. And I, become, I grow in that when I decide to encourage. I, I, I'm looking for it. I'm not looking for the critical. I'm not looking for everything that's wrong because they're trapped in the bubble. And I'm, No, no, I'm just going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak the, the good I see, and I'm going to draw them into that truth of the image of God that is in their, their life. So we need to make um, a decision um, to, to encourage. And that's good news for some of us who feel like we're stuck in this place, and like, I just don't love people, and people are like my enemy, and, and I, I just don't like to be around people. And, and we feel like we're stuck in this place in which we're always just negative about everything and everyone. Like, we're not stuck there. We can dig deeper. We can dis, uh, dismantle that disrespect and, and begin to decide to, to encourage people as we see that image of God in them. Jesus lived this out so well. So that leads me to the third thing, which I believe is to practice Jesus' habits. If we're going to develop a selfless vision for our life, it's not just getting the, the why right. Yes, we, we need that. We need to get our motives right. It's massively important. We need to learn to love people, learn to, to see it first. We, we got to get our vision right on how we look at people. And then it gets into action, right? And this is, this is what Paul tells us um, uh, here is that it not only changes our motive, but it changes the way we, we treat people. That in your relationships, you should be like Christ. We need to practice some Jesus habits in our relationship. Um, uh, I, I've, always, I've always thought when we talk about habits, one of the habits that happens around a house between a, uh, a husband and a wife is the whole habit of putting the seat down, the toilet seat. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm about to do a lot of toilet seat talk, so just if you're uncomfortable with that, it'll be over soon. Um, so I've always had kind of a weird theory on the toilet seat situation, and for me, just speaking for me, I've always thought, man, I'm showing, you know, that for my wife, I want her to walk in the restroom with confidence. Like nothing has taken place on this. So I think it's, it's smart. It's serving her well to leave the lid up, you know, because then she walks in. She's like, oh, thankfully, I'm not going to sit on some urine from my five-year-old. You know, I'm like, it's, it's safe. It's can put it down. So I hope that it's instilling some confidence. And, and she doesn't see it like that, though. <laughs> no, set the seat down. That's showing respect. That's a habit of re respect towards her, of serving her. See, I know you guys would get uncomfortable with that, but, <laughs> but um, I, I asked Taryn for an illustration last night, and it was so that I could replace that one. And she didn't come up with anything. <laughs> so you're welcome. So that's what it is. No, no, we, yeah, you're right. Uh, we have a lot of habits in our life that, that we have excuses for them. We have reasons for them, but they're very selfish. We have a lot of selfish habits, things that it's just a part of who we are and part of what we've been doing for the longest time. But, but Jesus had a lot of really different habits. And if we're going to develop a selfless vision for our life and be the fullness of him, then, then it's got to move from the theory of motives and move from, okay, just a visual head thing. It, it's got to get into our actions and in your relationships, be like Christ. So let's just kind of play a little game here. And let's just, some of you, I know some of you are read on the Bible. You've read on Jesus. What were some of the habits that Jesus had? Like what, in his relationships, how, how did he treat people? What were the habits that you see throughout Jesus' life? Go ahead, just throw it out. 
He washed feet. That was like, man, that's getting down, getting dirty. He wasn't afraid to get dirty. Yeah. Yeah, went, yeah, went the long way. Yeah, woman at the well, John 4. Yeah, absolutely. He was willing to go out of his way to meet someone. Yeah, that's a great one. Fasting, yeah, denying himself. Anybody else? Stood up for the weak, served the poor. How, how about this? Like, he, he sat at tables with people like we would stab them in the back. He sat with religious folk. He sat with tax collectors. He sat with people who were known to be sinners and drunkards. Like, there's all kinds of things. He was merciful. I mean, we can go on to these characteristics and qualities, but they weren't just characteristics and qualities that were in his head. It was things he did and said. It was a part of his life. It was who he was. If we're going to live in this life and be the fullness of him, then we begin to practice these same things. We sit with people who are different from us, and we, and we break bread, and we serve the poor, and we, we lower ourselves like Jesus did. He lowered himself. He took on our form. He took on flesh and bone like us. Got tired like we did. Got hungry like we did. And he still went out of his way. And he still, he still had to deal with the cultural consequences of some of these actions. But he still, he still did them. He wasn't afraid to, to do them. And I think some of us, we need to practice Jesus' habits. About 15 years ago was the last time I worked in a restaurant. You pick up some bad habits in restaurants, and you pick up some good habits too. And, and, and I've kept the, the good ones and got rid of any of the bad ones that were from that time in my life. But um, I, I know now one of the good habits that I picked up was um, always having full hands. John, you know, you used to manage a restaurant. Always have full hands. So when you walk out into, um, into the, the, the dining room, you always have plates in your hand. Let me go and go ahead and set plates down at a table. And when you go back into the kitchen, you have full hands too, right? Never have empty hands. It's just like a thing in good restaurants, good well-run restaurants that the servers have. And so you guys are going to look at this this week. You're going to be next restaurant you're in. Like they have full hands. Like, oh, you need it's a good employee. That's a bad employee, right? It's, or they're new here. They'll figure it out, you know? And so it, it's a habit that I picked up. So now every time I'm walking around the house, when I'm moving from the living room to the kitchen, I got full hands. When I'm going from the, the, the kitchen to the living room, it's, a pra- it, it's something I practiced. And, and I think we, we want these lifestyle things. We want these habits that Jesus um, practiced, but are, are we willing to do them repetitively? Are we willing to practice them? Tim Elmore, 10, 15 years ago, uh, wrote a book. I don't remember what the book was called, but he talked about the habitudes. That it's our attitudes and our habits. That, and, and said, have the same mindset in our relationships. Have the same mindset. Have the same attitude as Jesus. And he lived this way. And we got to practice the same way. I can, I can just say it that like this. There's two dogs in this fight. And the one you feed is going to win. If you feed the selfishness and you just keep feeding it, keep feeding, keep feeding the selfishness and you never deny yourself and you, you, you never put others first and you don't make a practice of that and just keep practicing at it. And, and what happens is God's changing our heart as we're practicing it. They're working together. It's not just sequential. They're all working together as we begin to reflect and develop a, a vision for our life that's, that's bigger than us, that's outside of us. Jesus pursued radical obedience to the point of death. And he selflessly served the people around him. The last thing, and the band can come. 
and I'm going to close with you today. If we're going to develop a selfless vision for our life, we got to figure out what's worth the investment of our lives. Figure out what's worth the investment of your life. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, God the Father, invested his very life to death on a cross. What was worth the investment of his life? You and me, sinners who had done nothing for him. We, we were worth the investment of his life. When, when we think of what's, who's worthy of the investment, what's worthy of the investment of our lives, we think to someone who's worthy, someone who would respect it, someone who would value it. And, and God chose you and I who don't always value it, who don't always respect it, who don't always receive it. So if we're going to develop this selfless vision for our life, we've got to figure out what's worth the investment of our life. Like what right now are you investing in your time and your talent and your, your means, your resources that is of eternal value? That, this whole series we've been talking about legacy. And it's not, it's not my legacy. It's not legacy of Fathom Church. Not your legacy that we're really talking about. We're talking about the kingdom of God legacy. Starting with Judges 2 and what we saw with Joshua and his generation, that they did, they got into the promised land, but they missed one vital thing. They didn't pass it on to the next generation. Talking about our unique gifts and how those come together for us to live out the fullness of Christ. The legacy we're talking about is a is a Christ-like one one in which we live and move and breathe and we, our motives are pure and, and our vision is like God's. Our actions are just what we've seen Jesus do. And we just, we live that out. And that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2. He's saying among each other, there should be this unity, this spirit of faith in which we are walking into the great unknown, whatever he's called us to, and we are investing our lives in, in his kingdom. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't, I don't know your journey. But I'm just guessing in a room this size, like there's some of us who, we're, we're kind of at the end of our why. M- maybe being at church today, like, oh, we'll say this might be my last Sunday and like I'm just going to do my own thing after this. Maybe it's like career is just, you've lost passion 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and you're just, just running the race, trying to find some meaning in it. I'm going to build something from a family, I'm going to do something, and just run out. But I know for every son and daughter in this room that there's a bigger why for our lives. And that why is to delight ourselves in Him, to live for His glory and renown for the love of God and the love of people. And I get it, we're all, we're all in process there, we're working to love people and work, working through this stuff. But, but don't get stopped in, the sto- stopped in the storm. 
Like he was, a, he was scared to death of what lies beyond that. And for some of you, you were like that close from saying yes and surrendering your life to Jesus, but you're kind of in the middle of the storm and you're asking questions and you're just afraid to like move beyond into the truth that God has for you. And I'm just, it's simple. It's a gift. It's a gift. You just got to receive it today. His plan for your life, his purposes for your life is a gift. It's a joy. It's a delight, the relationship we have with him. Don't settle with a why that's far too small to invest your life in. Something far greater. If you want to live with a selfless vision for your life and live a Christ-like legacy, will you stand with me? And I want to pray over you today. We just bow your heads with me. If you're here in this moment and you're like, Pastor, I'm my why's been wrong. Just that simple. You just say, my, my why has been wrong, and that's you, and you just want to raise your hand up and just let me know so I can pray for you. Hey, my why's been wrong. We just lift your hand up real quick. Just let me know who I'm praying for. My why has been wrong. My why's been wrong. Thank you. You can put it down. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I... I want to live a life for Jesus, but this whole people situation, I'm, I think I've got some disrespect. I, I, just, I see all the wrong, and I, I'm not calling out the image of God that's in them. That's me. Will you just raise your hand? Just let me know who I'm praying for today for that. I'm not seeing the image of God. I need to help loving people. All right, thank you. you can put your hand down. here today and, and like, hey, Pastor, I feel like I, I got the head stuff. I got the head stuff. I feel like I'm, I'm understanding this, I, but just practicing this stuff. I'm, I'm scared to get out of my comfort zone and do like some of the stuff that Jesus did. I'm, I'm afraid, but I'm right there. And just say, hey, Pastor, I, I just need some courage today to move out and just begin to practice some of this stuff. Is that you? Will you just raise your hand real quick? Just let me know who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. God, I thank you for hands all over this place, God, that you're moving in hearts, you're moving in lives right now, God. And, and just collectively on behalf of this room full of people who are standing saying, God, we want a vision that's bigger than ourselves. We want to live a life that is worth the investment of our life. We want to live for something big. God, would you speak to us? God, would you empower us through your spirit? Would we come in unity with you, God, that we might walk in this stuff, not just stay in theory with motives and just, just seeing it in our head, but God, could we live in it? Could we walk in it? Give our lives for your glory and for your renown. And that's our prayer today. And that's our prayer today. God, would you work in our hearts as we sing this next song? I pray that our hearts respond. I pray that we make confessions with our lips, God, that we will live out this week, Monday through Saturday, till we return together. We'll live it out, God. These confessions from our lips, these songs of worship. Take us deeper, God. Take us deeper that we may live and walk and be as the fullness of Christ on this earth and carry on your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We love you today. Will you lead us?